Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path. I have a very special guest here with me today. I have Raj Jana. This is my brother, fellow seeker, and the host of the Stay Grounded podcast, which I was on not too long ago. Raj and I did a spontaneous little recording of that, which was a lot of fun. It was, it was an awesome conversation. Raj, thank you so much for being on the Zen Stoic Path. So stoked to see you, bro. You look yeah. great over there. <laughs> Thanks, the man. Mike is looking mighty, right? Yeah, now. you know, it has to be robust in the shot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so people don't just assume that my voice just sounds like that, you know? <laughs> Oh, good so stuff, good. man. So I, I was very curious to ask, cause I know you and I had a spontaneous episode that we did on your podcast. And I realized yeah. that I never really asked you what inspired the stay grounded podcast. And you know, like, how did you, you come to that name? Because that name I know is double entendre, which the audience doesn't quite know yet, but we'll get into that in a second. So what inspired you to create that podcast? Yeah. So my, uh, just a quick backstory, my, my, I used to be a petroleum engineer, went to school, mm. graduated with that degree, started working in oil and gas in a, in a corporate environment, like the corporatist of the corporatist environment yes. and um, was not happy. And I read a book called the four hour work week, which then made me realize that I knew nothing about the world and that I was living in this, this, like this illusion of life when there was so much more to be experienced and so much more to learn. And, and there was this idea of online businesses. And so I started going down the path of teaching myself how to be an entrepreneur because I realized that's what I wanted. And my first few, like I tried a bunch of side hustles. The first side hustle, I actually know the first three failed. The fourth one was a side hustle that taught me how to sell products online. And as a result of that, I started a coffee company and I was selling little coffee gadgets online. Um, three months after I launched my first product, uh, I had a mentor who worked 37 years at the same company die of a heart attack three months before his retirement date. Oh, shit, man. And um, this was three months after I launched that product. I was you know, selling this manual coffee grinder. That was like the mm -hmm. first gadget we launched. And I remembered that experience just kind of shocking me like waking me up to this very, very, very re like this. It was, it was, it was the most real experience. I think um, the, the real reminder of truth, which is that we're all going to die one day. <laughs> that, that, that is one of those inevitable truths. <laughs> That's for and, sure. And, and, and what it really hit me was it doesn't matter if you do all the things right by the book, you could mm. do the right things, save for retirement. You could do everything correctly and still have the rug pulled out from underneath you. And things won't be fair. And I just remembered that experience making me realize that I didn't want my, like I just looked at my parents. My dad came from the US or came to the US with 60 bucks in his pocket, you know, lived this very hardworking life, but he never actually took time for himself and thought about the idea of that happening to my dad and I didn't want it. So I worked my ass off. Nine months later, we had our first million dollars in sales. Wow. And I was working more than I'd ever worked in my life. Mm -hmm. And I had a mentor who really pushed me to slow down and said, Hey Raj, why are you doing what you're doing? And when I, I took a month off in December of 2016, and I really sat with that question, like, what am I, why am I doing what I'm doing? I really started going deeper into a lot of spiritual practices, like gratitude and meditation and going inward for that answer. And one day I, I, I just started journaling and, it came through to me that, wow, like 
Jerry's death inspired this insane zest for life. And I can't convince people to quit their jobs and travel the world. I can't convince people to empty out their 401ks and buy their dream cars. But what I can do is help people use a simple drink like coffee to stay grounded in the moments they love. Mm. And so I wrote that down on a piece of paper. It like, it like was like just word for word just flowed through me in my journal. Yeah. I had, you had a moment of inspiration there. <laughs> that's where stay grounded came. Stay grounded started as this, like this idea of staying grounded in the moment using something simple, like a cup of coffee. It became a vision. I wrote this long vision that then I, I, shared with my, then I started hiring people with that vision instead of hiring people to join a coffee company. I was like, no, join the stay grounded movement. Mm. And this is what we're building. We're building a podcast. We're building, you know, all these things and teaching people how to use this stuff. And it was like this whole elaborate story that stemmed off of a coffee grinder. And I started sharing a lot of content with our coffee, you know, audience, people who had bought our products. And then I started sharing more of these philosophies on living, which was, you know, using this cup of coffee to ground your day, anchor into things that feel good to you to say, I love you more, like just more like these principles of connected living. Mm -hmm. Um, These simple practices that go along with, you know, something that people are doing every day anyway, which is drinking that morning cup of coffee. Right. So it was just reframe. And that's what made it so brilliant at the time. I didn't realize how smart it was as used as a marketing (laughs) tactic. You're taking something that people already do and just helping them see a different way to experience it. Right. So I'm not actually creating any new like products to create more joy. I'm actually just showing you a new way of doing what you're already doing. And, um, and so then I started sending out emails and I had someone on our, on our list reach out and he was like, dude, I love your emails. Big fan of the grinder. I would love to help you launch a podcast. And he had never done it before. I was like, you know, I wrote into my vision page that I wanted to have a podcast one day. And so he, uh, he ended up like producing it. He like, it was in the music space, but he'd never done podcasts. And he told me he was like this big guy who did big podcasts. I was like, all right, great. <laughs> like, totally. I paid, him, like, <laughs> paid him like, I paid him like 500 bucks and he, uh, he ended up going through it, helping me launch the podcast. I launched it with a few, uh, guests that I had met at other masterminds and other spiritual groups that I was learning from. And, and then I just started creating and it, and it, and it, man, it was just been, I'm like 230 episodes in almost now. Yeah, man. And you, you interview people from all weeks of life too. Like like all all walks of life rather like everybody. (laughs) I mean, I I've interviewed some just, just like, I mean, it's truly, I mean, you've been on the show, like you get it. Like it's actually just uh, a space where I can drop in deeply and, mm-hmm. and connect with, with, with the soul. And so everybody, and one of the things I've realized in my own journey is, you know, there's no book as rich as the book of the soul, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's all these people that might have amazing life accomplishments. They might've done amazing things in life, but when you drop into the soul and you connect with someone on a soul level and you really evoke that and, and you start to have conversations from that space, like everybody has a story to share. Everybody has something to provide. And that's what I realized. And so the show, like, yeah, we have people, we have, I've had billionaires on the show. I've had like, I've had ex convicts. I've had monks. I've had entrepreneurs. I've had a little bit of everything, man. (laughs) Human beings who are actually just 
going through it, people who have cancer, like, I mean, you name it, like, like everybody who's just living deeply and, 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 and sharing their lived experience from that space of love in service of this greater idea that staying grounded is not about what you do. It's about who you are. Staying grounded is about going deeper into the realms of you and, and finding that sense of safety and groundedness in who you are, no matter what life throws at you. And yeah. so it's that message has evolved from a simple tagline at the coffee company to this. And a lot of it is, has, as I've evolved and as I've gone inward and as I've asked the question, how do you stay grounded to almost 230 people? Like you start to, it's been a beautiful evolution, but yeah, that's the, I guess that's the, the full range story. I don't know if I've ever actually, like, I haven't told that story in a while. Thank you for asking that. <laughs> of course, man. I haven't heard that story. Like I've heard parts of that story, but not the entire thing. And there's so many elements of that that I'd like to unpack with you, especially for this episode, right? There are some elements that we know we definitely see in stoicism as well as Zen, where they're looking at this idea of mortality. And it seems like the idea was inspired from being confronted with the mortality of somebody that you cared a lot about and somebody who did the right thing, said the right things, and yet still had the rug pulled out from under them, which is something that when we think about, it feels unjust. It feels uh, you know, like it's not fair. But at the same time, what was interesting about what you did with that information is that you, you essentially channeled that experience into something inspiring for yourself and others. And what's really cool is that you did it with something that, like we were mentioning before, people are doing it every day anyway, right? You're basically bringing that experience to them in a way that they may not have thought about before, right? Looking at it from a, a new perspective by you know, taking your morning coffee as an opportunity to stay grounded and to get very present to life. Because at the end of the day, we don't know when our time is going to be, right? I'm, yeah. you know, for, for your mentor, you didn't know that. He didn't know that. And yet it just happened in that way. So what, what I think is really interesting is when we focus on mortality or when we meditate on our mortality, what it seems to bring us is this idea of staying in the present moment. It doesn't have to be a morbid uh, type thought. It could actually be a very inspiring and a very heartening thought, which I think is really cool that you took that and you kind of went into what was already part of somebody's day and brought that intentionality to it, which is really awesome. What yeah. do, you, do you ever think about or meditate on mortality uh, even today since that experience? Oh man, I talk a lot about death actually <laughs> yeah, <I'm> <laughs> more about death recently than I think I ever have. Um, I've been having some conversations lately, so we can definitely get into it. <laughs> well, you know, I think death is the, is, is the focusing agent of life, right? Like, mm-hmm. like I, I like to think of birth and death as the two endpoints. Life is what happens in the middle. And so when you focus on either birth or death, it just enhances the, the quality of life. Yes. Right. Like, and so it's a, and I, and I used to be afraid of thinking about, and I know a lot of people, I think at least in my life are afraid of death. I mean, I think we all are to some degree. It's actually the ultimate thing. The, if I had to really think of like one ultimate fear to work on, it is your fear of death because your fear of death is actually the fear of life. Like when you are afraid of throwing yourself into something unknown, when you are living life just here in the plane, you think that this is going to cheat death, but it isn't. 
So you cheating yourself of all the pleasures, all the richness, all the ups and downs, all of the, uh, the, the ranges of life is actually you fearing death. Mm -hmm. And so the more I, I, I challenge my relationship with death, the more I, I go into the deep fears of losing my loved ones, the more, not the fears, even maybe the sadness, the, the sadness, the, the, um, the pain, the more I, I remember that it doesn't matter if I, you know, and this is something I actually, I went through a death meditation on this very process actually mm -hmm. around my, my girlfriend, Gina, um, who, you know, and, um, it was a death meditation around just this idea of, you know, losing her to another man, mm. right. The death of a relationship. Yes. And when I went into that, like I went deep into the, the feelings of what it would feel like to lose her to someone else, all the insecurities that would show up in me, all everything that would show up in me if I lost her to someone else. And at the end of that, do you know what I felt at the What's end that? of that meditation? All I felt was profound sadness that I wouldn't have her in my life anymore. And I realized in that moment that it doesn't matter if I lost her to another human being, another man, or if I lost her to death at the age of 90, when we grow old, the fact is one day I'm going to lose her. Mm -hmm. And for me, using death as that focusing agent allows me to actually love her fully in this moment. It allows me to love my family fully in this moment. It allows me to remember the bigger picture and remember the, um, like when I'm afraid to take action or do something, I it's, it's often the thing that actually snaps me out of, um, yeah. the, 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 the funk or the, the, the thing I might be caught in. Like if I'm just caught in my own victim story, if I'm caught in my own cheap reality show, like I, I death is usually like a, a powerful, mm -hmm. like bring me back to what's truth. Um, and that's right. It is, and it is something that that serves. I think. Uh, I think. I think Western cultures have a a, a certain. I mean, I, if you think about, it, I mean, I, I thought about this the other day. Like, you think about the world right now with mental health being at an all time high. Like we're, and it's because we're all running from the one thing you actually cannot escape. No wonder we're all crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. You actually just accepted the truth that one day I'm going to die and you worked on yourself to relieve all the things related to that. I think we would actually solve a lot of um, issues that the world is currently facing today. That's right. And I, it's really interesting that you had mentioned before that the fear of death is, is actually the fear of living. Because uh, what's really interesting, we, we talked about this on your podcast, this idea of how the temporary nature and the fragility of life is what gives it its meaning. Like the very fact that we are going to die is what brings everything into perspective and what shows us what's actually important to us. And to go into it is not necessarily for the faint of heart to face those emotions and those feelings, especially you going into, you know, the idea uh, the, the potentiality of the death of a relationship, whether that was from an actual physical death or the loss of that relationship to another partner, uh, which is really, really interesting to go into those emotions and instead of run away from them, because not going into those or not facing them when they come up, if they are coming up, 
typically exacerbates them and makes them much worse, right? We talked yeah. about, I know on Stay Grounded, we talked about this whole idea of how emotions are signals and, and unless they are received, <laughs> they're going to keep coming back. So you, if you had that fear once and you had it again and again and again, it's not going to stop just because you pushed it away one time. Uh, I, I always think this is really interesting because emotions, they seem to speak to us in symbols and specifically around death. I was having this conversation with my girlfriend like a week ago where I was talking about like this really weird random experience that I have typically when I'm having a really nice, like caring or loving or just fun moment with somebody that I love where like, I'll be sitting there like completely present with them. And then out of nowhere, I'll have this thought that I've since realized what it means, but I'll have this thought. I'll just like randomly be like, so what if they died like now or tomorrow? Or something? <laughs> I can just like, I, in my own mind, I'm like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> like, you're having such a nice time with this person. <laughs> I'm like, what is that all about? But then what I start to realize is that thought actually comes to me the moment I start to take myself out of the present. The moment I start to focus on something else, whether it's, you know, with my family and focusing on like, oh, they're only here for a couple more days. Or if I start to focus on like, oh, what do I got to, I got to do something for work, like while I'm with them, or if I'm with you know, uh, my girlfriend, for instance, and I start thinking about, uh, you know, getting ahead of myself and thinking about what the future with her is going to be like that type of a thought, not always death, but something like that, something like ridiculous will always come in to try to grab my attention. And what I've noticed is that symbolically it's one way that kind of brings me back to present. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting what yeah. you say about it, of how it's like, you know, that, that focusing agent that just shows you immediately without question what's important and what's not important in that moment. Oh, it's so, I, I don't think the mind wants us to be present mm -mm. because if it's not present, if it's present, that means it's not paying attention to all the other things that it's supposed to be paying attention to, to keep us right. safe. Mm -hmm. So I think we have this natural sort of predis, like we're naturally wired to want to actually get out of presence mm -hmm. and be in this like kind of vigil state. And then leaving the mind to its own vices, it will go down some gnarly paths. Yes. You know? like hundred percent. It's like, and my path truly has been actually, can I go deep into presence? Mm. What practices allow me to go deep into presence? What conversations allow me to anchor into presence? What, um, what remembrances uh, mm. help me stay in presence. And, and I think that is actually truly for me, the, uh, a, a North star of a, of a, of an, of, of a thought exercise, just because I do think that when we're in presence, there's no, um, there is no fear. Right. I think when we're in presence, there is just connection. Mm -hmm. There's just connection to yourself. There's connection to if you, if you, if you ever play a sport, like, you know, that feeling of like when you're in presence and flow, right? Like you're just in flow. Like there's like these states that are found in presence are, are, I mean, those are, those are the most blissful states alive. Like mm -hmm. you can experience that in lovemaking. You can experience that in just a simple conversation and a podcast. Yes. There's so many tools and practices and, 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 and resources that are out there to bring us into presence. But it takes effort. And, and I think for me, what inspires the effort is death. 
Yes. Like, <laughs> ideas like death inspire the effort to feel and go deeply into the moment because that's where I know the juice is. That's where the mm-hmm. magic is. That's where the richness is. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to live disconnected. I want to be in connection. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, you know, death might be one thing, you know, there's a lot of different things, a lot of principles. I, I guess I'm curious for you, like, besides death, are there any other sort of grander ideas that bring you back into presence? That's an interesting question. I think, um, obviously, you know, going into, <laughs> going into death, death is more of one of those like heavier topics, but lighter things that bring me into presence are things like humor. Uh, I always, I, I think on your podcast, when you asked me what I do to stay grounded, I told you I watched South Park. And yeah. <laughs> the reason for that is because I find humor to be such an important um, aspect of our lives, right? To be able to laugh at things. Um, the more serious we make things, to me, the more serious I get, the more rigid I become. And the more I start to think about potential things that might happen that I'm afraid of, or the more I ruminate on the past and how I should have made a better decision. But if I allow myself to actually laugh at things, uh, especially things that I didn't think I was allowed to laugh at, right? Things that have maybe been troubling to me in the past. If I allow myself to laugh at those things, it loosens the hold that they have on me. And what will typically happen is it'll bring things to light to which I've pushed down. So being able to, for instance, laugh at a situation like that is not fun. Like, let's say um, you have, I don't know, I've, I've had this experience before where something won't go my way in business, right? Like maybe some sales that I expected won't go my way. And initially there'll be some upset there. There'll be some like, oh shit, like that sucks. I was kind of, you know, hoping that that would happen. And then I've had experiences where it happened over and over and over again, like consecutively. And I went from like, this is upsetting. And like, this is really annoying to like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is so like, like, it's so weird that it's happening in this way. And I'll actually start like laughing at myself and laughing at the situation because of how like ridiculous it becomes. And usually when I do that, what that ends up leading me into is this, like this moment of surrender and letting go of, preconceived notions of how I thought things had to be. And typically those are the same moments where whatever rut I was in gets turned around is in those moments of surrender that began with humor. And it's really hard to surrender to life, to surrender to the embrace of the things that you can't control when you're super serious and rigid. So on the lighter side of things, lighthearted side of things, humor and like making jokes and being playful is what ultimately brings me back into that place where I'm flowing again, where I'm present. So it's something that is very important and a non-negotiable in my life, which is one of the reasons why I didn't just stick with stoicism, but I also involve Zen because Zen is not super rigid. Zen is very, uh, it, it, there's almost no definition to Zen, right? They talk about in Zen, how, if you try to define it, you're already diluting the definition of what it is. Cause it's this direct experience, but when they talk about enlightenment in Zen or this idea of Satori, sudden enlightenment, they liken it to, to be very similar to hearing a joke or seeing something really funny that your laughter is involuntary. 
like you have like one of those belly laughs, like they compare that experience to what enlightenment or Satori sudden enlightenment is like. So that's, that, I would say that's one of the things that brings me back into presence. How about well, you? I love the, um, well, I love the, you know, death is kind of like that rigid truth. Mm-hmm. Surrender. Unmoving. <laughs> yeah, surrender is, is the dance, right? It's like if I had to create two poles, the masculine, the feminine, like I, I, I'd like to think of it from that standpoint of like surrenders. And I'm so grateful that you brought up surrender because for me, surrender has been one of my greatest edges. Mm. Like, can I surrender control? Yeah, same here. <laughs> like, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I surrender the need to know and have certainty? Um, can I surrender to trust in myself, in forces unseen? Can I surrender to, um, can, I, can I surrender my ego, right? Can I make the choice to do that? Can I, can I surrender to this greater unfolding and this vision, this mission that might be in my belly, my, my heart, my balls, like mm-hmm. surrender is this is a practice, I think yeah. um, that that can be applied in so many different ways to help you connect deeply, more deeply with the flow of life mm-hmm. and, and not fight the flow, right? Like if we think of, I think the endpoints is birth and death and then life in the middle, I feel like surrender is the is the practice and the art of dancing in the middle. Mm-hmm. It's a hundred percent that. Right. Because like, sometimes like, and this is where my edge is like, when do I push? And when do I, when do I, when, when do I just allow, mm-hmm. right? Like, when do I, when do I charge? When do I just be, when do yes. I do? And when do I be like, that's the dance. I feel like that. I think each of us are on and, and, and in our own ways here to explore and master. That's actually truly what I think mastering the art of living is. Mm-hmm. It is, it is mastering that dance between the doing and the being. Yes. The, the surrendering and the, and the pushing it's, it's bringing together the opposing forces so that you can be in harmony with all that is. That's right. That's why the, uh, the wise philosopher, Frank Sinatra once said, "Dooby dooby do." And that one song of his. <laughs> Some hidden wisdom there, man. <laughs> it's like, man, I've listened to that song so many times and I finally caught it. <laughs> but it's true. There is that, there is that dance. And what I think is really interesting about that, about this idea of surrender is I've had, at least like when I put it into like Zen stoic terminology, we talk about this intention of embrace versus resistance and it's to embrace what is to trust what is to love the path love your fate or you know very similar to that Nietzsche idea of amor fati and what I find really interesting is that I've been playing with this idea of metaphors in the external world to kind of reflect back to you what's going on in your internal world Um, uh, we have a mutual friend that actually shared that with me, Megan Foley. And her and I were talking about this idea of how the outside is a reflection of what's going on inside. So if you're experiencing something in your external world, it's a reflection of what may be going on internally. So when she shared this with me, uh, the metaphor that we kind of used to illustrate it was in my backyard, I never, never walk barefoot because it's riddled with like these little sticker weeds, which are like these little spiky balls. So if you step there, like you'll get, get them stuck in your foot kind of thing. And that day, when we talked about this idea, 
we, you know, talked about this idea of trusting yourself and trusting your body and the body's innate wisdom or intelligence. And what I thought was really interesting about that is that once we had that discussion and kind of like went through a few exercises around it, I walked outside barefoot, which I'd never done before. And I was able to walk through my backyard without getting a single sticker in my foot. Mm. Now I started doing that every day for like two weeks straight. And then I had a morning that was just like, everything kind of like went wrong. It was like, but not anything big. It was like little minor inconveniences and annoyances that were going wrong. And I've trained myself to embrace and trust the positive. That's a really easy one. And then I trained myself to embrace the big dramatic negatives. Like even the ones that are really like peak unpleasant experiences. I've trained myself to believe that everything is a gift and it's all going to work out at some point. So even if it's like crazy now, like something is going to turn and this will be a beautiful lesson and gift that you'll get that'll add to your wisdom, your strength, your intelligence, all that. But I never thought about the minor inconveniences that we experience in life. And so I'm like getting in my head about this stuff and I'm about to walk outside and I'm like, watch, I'm going to step on a fucking sticker. (laughs) I go outside. The first step I take, boom, two in my foot. I was like, shit. So like I sat down, I like took them out of my foot. I like sat down in my lawn chair and I was just like looking up, started meditating for a little bit. And then I, and I started laughing because I was like, oh, I can embrace big things and positive things, but I can't embrace these little annoyances. I can't trust these things that are happening. So I let that go. And I was able to, I decided that I was like, okay, I'm going to trust even these little things that are coming up. And then as I kind of digested that lesson, I said to myself, I'm going to get up and walk around now. And I trust that my body is going to step wherever it needs to step to be safe. And I got up and I walked around the backyard, no stickers. And so (laughs) the metaphor of this, this idea of embracing and trusting and surrendering to what is it was basically symbolized by those stickers and by trusting myself where the step, which I thought was a very interesting experience, especially in this topic of surrendering control or surrendering conscious control of having to manage everything. I love that, man. I love the, you're making me realize I don't get enough nature. <laughs> well, well, really, actually, like it's one. Of you do have I, intentions to move to Austin, so. <laughs> well, yeah, and like I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm looking out at my, you know, my beautiful balcony right now, but it's in the middle of a city, and just, I, I am actually really craving just more connection to, like, I feel like I haven't actually been able to access that inner voice of the trust, mm-hmm. because like I'm so vigilant. Like, like mm-hmm. my nervous system is so on and vigilant that like yeah. I can't even like the idea of just walking without actually looking down and making sure I'm not stepping on anything or stepping on shit or like, you know, like all of that. Like, I don't trust mm-hmm. my myself right now to just walk down the street and, and, and just do it without looking everywhere, which yes, I'm craving. it's, it's, it's become my new I'm, meditation out there. <laughs> you're making me realize I'm craving just walking on the fucking grass. <laughs> like, like that's like it's a very simple, simple thing, thing but it is like, quite I nice. Just want it. Exactly. So silly, but there's so much wisdom in, in that one thing, right? Like the, the little annoyances and actually having a practice or practices that are in your backyard Mm -hmm. to really actually embody some of these greater lessons. Like I, one of the things I love most when you said on my podcast, you know, kind of like the, the idea of I'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I think what you just shared was a very real example of choosing to go into the discomfort before you ever have to like, and I'm realizing that as a theme, even for myself, like choosing to go into the potentiality of losing my, my, you know, Gina Mm -hmm. before I ever had to, it's like, there's these choices we can all make. Mm -hmm. I I have a really dear friend who lost her her husband to stage four cancer last year. And she made the intentional choice to grieve his death before he passed. Hmm. And the gift that that gave her was being able to love him unconditionally until the end. Wow. It gave her the gift of being able to speak with love instead of trauma to her children about her dad, about, Mm -hmm. about, about their dad and Mm -hmm. shift the entire experience altogether. And so I, I see so much value in, in choosing to go into the difficulty. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we have this weird relationship with like, I think physical difficulty is one thing that I think a lot of us, you know, like the gym, like pushing ourselves physically is one place. I think that in Western culture, I would say is like kind of normalized. Yeah. It's become right? cool to do it. So. Cool, right? so it's like, I'm going to push myself physically, but Stretching yourself emotionally is something that I think every single human being, it's like, it's, it's like necessary almost Mm -hmm. to, because that's the one thing that, you know, not everybody chooses to go hiking and do like, you know, puts themselves into hard situations and will ever actually need maybe Mm -hmm. your body to be in peak physical condition to go and do all those things. But all of us are at one point going to be faced with a difficulty that is going to evoke a very strong emotional response Mm -hmm. that is going to be uncomfortable. And if not managed properly, will lead to undesirable symptoms that will stick around much longer than the emotional event itself. That's right. So I think there's a lot of wisdom in allowing yourself to feel and a hundred percent to to, to go choose to go into the darkness that you actually are avoiding with your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, we discussed that on, on your podcast. We discussed that at the retreat that you and I were both at yeah. previous to that is this idea of feeling your feelings and going into them, especially the unpleasant ones. Those are the ones that it's most difficult to face, or they, at least they seem most difficult to face because at first glance, they seem like this really unpleasant experience, this thing that it may cause suffering or may cause pain. But one thing, one met- metaphor I started using is there's a massage therapist that I go to for body work. And the way that he describes how you deal with pain is that pain is very much like a resistance band. If you try to pull away from it, a resistance band is going to get heavier and tighter as you pull away and harder to actually move. But instead, if you move into it, the band will slack and become very light and very easy to move and adjust. So his thing is to look at pain in a similar way, to look at it in like, if you are feeling pain or you're feeling discomfort or you're feeling disturbance in yourself mentally or emotionally, instead of pulling away from it, go into it consciously and intentionally go into it and get present to it very much like you were saying with the feelings that you did in that meditation. It's so uncomfortable though, dude. <laughs> like it, sucks. Oh, like, it absolutely is. Like, dude, I, you know, actually I got something for you for, for discomfort that I learned recently that I think you will enjoy because you just reminded me. So yes, it is very uncomfortable. Recently 
I was doing a coaching session and in this coaching session, it was this super simple distinction that just changed everything in terms of perspective where I learned that discomfort feeling or being uncomfortable and feeling unsafe are two different things. Mm. That feeling unsafe is in the face of a real danger, real physical danger, you could say, whereas feeling uncomfortable is not necessarily that it's something to brush off, but I'm not in physical danger. I'm not going to get hurt or I'm not going to, my life is not going to be threatened by what this is. So if being uncomfortable is not being unsafe, then therefore being uncomfortable is safe and growth happens when we're uncomfortable. So therefore it is safe to grow and to be uncomfortable, which has made it much more of an effortless process for me to engage in that discomfort. That's fucking awesome, man. I, I was, that, that was awesome. Thank you for Thanks, man. doing that. Because <laughs> I, it's something I was actually, it's so funny, man. We're like similarly processing shit. Like, it's just great. Like I <laughs> actually really just thinking about, like I was journaling, you know, we're creating a few different curriculums right now. And, mm. um, and one of them is reframing the, reframing what safety means to the individual who is on their healing journey. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, because I, I just exactly what you just said, which was so perfectly and eloquently described the uncomfortable being uncomfortable is actually safe. That's right. <laughs> because you, it's, 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 you, you nailed it. Actually, you, you mm -hmm. absolutely nailed it because when you're uncomfortable, you are literally strengthening your ability to handle a variety of responses and it's so it, like it's god like our brains are so silly like i, I <laughs> they I, are like i just feel this like they're just silly man they're just so silly like they just they're so rudimentary mm -hmm. so rudimentary so predictable like i think once i once i started actually just really understanding the mind and and, and, and it's responses and why, like, it's like, I can, I'm, I'm aware I'm, I'm much, I'm much more mindful of its natural tendencies and mindfulness. I feel like is the oldest technology in the world, right? Like it's mm -hmm. like the technology of mindfulness is something that we all have at our disposal. And I think the more we can actually practice just a simple act of being mindful in those emotional states and start being curious instead of afraid, curious instead of certain, curious mm -hmm. instead of like fighting. Like, yes, we could just infuse curiosity into the space in between stimulus and response. My God, like there's so much shifting that can happen the way you just did with a very, very, very powerful concept, like shifting that on its head. It all starts with curiosity. It does. It, um, one of the, the, the pair bonds of intention and delusion is the intention of understanding versus the delusion of control. This control is going in with preconceived notions, basically using deductive reasoning to come from what you already believe. Whereas curiosity is leading with a question or understanding is leading with a question that you sincerely seek to learn. Like the, if the intention is to learn, not to confirm, then you're going to have these moments where 
you realize that you were only looking at something from one vantage point or one angle. And then when you start to understand or you start to open up that loop rather than trying to close the loop uh, for a sense of certainty, so much begins to open up. We start to see different angles of things that we didn't consider before, different perspectives. And we can't do that when we're in a, a place of total certainty. It's not going to allow us to actually question things and to wonder and to learn something new. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the trap. That's right. It's That's right. Fucking trap, man. I just love these conversations with you, bro. You're like, <laughs> like, I'm just like, you just, I'm like thinking so much about just how much I appreciate you. <laughs> Like you Likewise, have this, man. <laughs> you have this incredible knack for, 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 for breaking down complex concepts that are so important to the psychological development of of a happy human. Back at like, you, man. <laughs> you're, you're so good at it. Like I, I, I learn something every single time I talk to you, just because it's like, like it's so simple yet so profound. And I think that's how it should be. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these breakthroughs, like a lot of these concepts, a lot of these philosophies, when we actually boil it down, it's just a simple focus mm-hmm. on, on the endpoints, birth and death, surrender in the middle, be curious, reframe unhelpful beliefs mm-hmm. and keep trusting in your ability to walk in the garden. Yes. And handle all the pain that shows up big and small. That's and right. Allow yourself to feel all the good that shows up, big and mm-hmm. small. Yeah. Simple. When you and break, that, actually break it down. Yeah, dude. And and I think what what's interesting about what you said earlier about mindfulness being like the oldest technology, it really is if we if we decide to embrace it. Because, I mean, humans have been observing the world for for thousands of years, and you know we we create laws out of the observations or the observed regularities that we make, like gravity and and whatnot, but we don't typically, it's not our default to observe the regularities that occur within ourselves mentally and emotionally. And I think mindfulness is a great first step to begin to observe what goes on between, you know, uh, like trigger and response in ourselves and our minds and our bodies. So it's like, that's a great point to, if we look at mindfulness as like a technology, almost like the the user's manual of, of our of our own bodies or vessels then it could actually be a really interesting experience to be able to catch these these emotions that are coming up that we have maybe not paid attention to for years or catch these thoughts that are recurring that we have just began to see as normal and instead begin to question them and get curious as to what they're maybe trying to tell us or what they're symbolizing um, that we can use to evolve ourselves so good so good <laughs> so I have a uh, one, one final question for you. And um, this is a question that I'm going to begin asking. I used to have a different one, but we are, we're in the process of creating a community called liberated life. And the reason being is because through Zen stoic is one means of doing so we're all about creating a life of liberation where we are liberated from the oppression of our own emotions and thoughts and able to do so in the way like live intentionally in the way that we see fit and the way that we feel is most important. So Raj, what does it mean to you to live a liberated life? So something that I've been chewing on. So this one's very easy. 
I think liberation comes down to a simple formula. Awareness times agency equals liberation. Awareness times agency equals liberation. When you become aware and you increase your awareness, when you know more, when you, when you have, when there's nothing left unseen and you have the tools and you know the ways and you know the people and you know the how, when you have, when you know the what and the how, you have everything in your power to liberate yourself. And so Beautiful. Liberation is, is a practice of those two things. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you keep learning how and can you keep uncovering what? Beautiful. And then if you combine those two and you just take action, you're free. I love that. Raj, thank you so much for being on the Zen Stoic Path. Where can people find you if they want to check out more of your stuff? Uh, to stay grounded podcast. I'm on all the podcast apps. Um, you can, uh, reach out to me on social. I'm pretty active on Instagram. Shoot me a DM. Um, and, uh, do something kind for somebody, you know, go, go hug a friend, say, I love you. Just be kind. And, um, if anything, if you take anything from this, just, you know, be kind. And I'm just grateful that I get to be here spending time with you, brother. It's always, always, always a pleasure to, just go down the rabbit hole with you, my guy. You're just such likewise, a fun <laughs> dude. The river, like I just love it. <laughs> likewise, brother. Thank you so much for for being on the show.